Well, keep, your, keep your finger, if you will, in Hebrews 13, but I would just like to begin by reading a couple of verses from Psalm 139 uh, to you, and you're, you're welcome to join me there if you like. Psalm 39, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God's word teaches that that the Lord is the creator. He's the author of life. And therefore, all life is valuable. From conception until death, um, all image bearers are to be protected. And so after, after, 50, after 50 years on Friday, we witnessed an answer to prayer. Uh, that is the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. And um, I just want to encourage you this morning that this is something that we need to continue to remain in prayer for. Our governor signed a law back in April that will restrict most abortions in our state after 15 weeks of pregnancy. That will begin on July the 1st. As I best understand it, today in our state, you can still get an abortion up until 24 weeks. And so while we've seen a big victory uh, at a national level, this is still, this is just one battle in a, in a war, ultimately for hearts and minds. Um, I'll remind you that a detectable heartbeat begins at week six or so of a, of a, of a, of a pregnancy. And I'm thankful that our governor has indicated that more pro-life action will be coming. Uh, but let's pray for courage for our state legislature and our, and our governor to indeed enact more legislation that would protect the rights of the unborn. But we need to remember that this isn't just a political or a social or even a moral issue, although it is all of that, but this is indeed a spiritual battle that we are facing. So let's humbly and passionately commit this to prayer, that God would not only protect unborn life, but that the Lord would would change hearts in our nation to truly, and frankly in our world, to truly uh, care and, and, be, and have compassion for the, for the lives of all of his image bearers, in, in, particularly in the, most, in, the most, uh, uh, in the most protected place, in, in the place where life should be the most protected, um, uh, and that would be in the womb of a, of a mother. We need the, right now these days to be the church, and, and that means uh, certainly uh, making our voice heard in terms of, of truth and righteousness, but, but also we need to be loving, hurting pregnant women who, who find themselves in very difficult situations. And we need to minister the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to them in, in word and, and in deed, showing them that there's hope. And that there, there are people who would love to bring these, these children into their homes and would provide loving families for them. And I have to say that, church, you, you're doing well here. A number of our families are, are fostering and are adopting 
Uh, but let's continue to pray and, and, and seek and, and learn for how we can, can be um, a, a agents of grace in our, in our own society. And I want to say this before I just pray for this issue, um, that I realize that in a group this size, it's likely that there's someone here who has participated in the sin of abortion. And, and if that's you, it, it, it could be very easy right now, especially as you see all these headlines and all the, all the, uh, all the um, hubbub right now in our nation, um, it, it could be easy just to be reminded of this sin and, and to feel like, can I ever be free from this? And I just want to remind you that we, if that's you, that we have a great Savior. And so look to Him. Look to the cross, because His blood is powerful enough to wash away all sin and to make you clean. And so He has, if you have looked to Him in faith. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are sovereign. And Lord, we thank You that, that, that the hand of nations and the hand of kings and the hand of Supreme Court justices and, and legislatures, and, and even the president, is ultimately in yours. We thank you, Lord, for the work that we saw you do that is the answer to decades of prayers with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But Lord, as we recognize that, that states now bear more responsibilities, and, and Lord, as we recognize that there is a, a, a spiritual battle that is just... Um, uh, in, that is just raging. Lord, we, we do pray for true repentance in our nation and in our world. Lord, I pray that what we would turn from prizing libertarian sexual freedom over human life. Forgive us for that sin, Lord. Help us to see truth for what it is. Lord, help us to recognize that, that you are the source of all truth, and you have said that life uh, human life is to be protected. So Lord, give us that heart and that passion. But Lord, give us grace as well to, to, to help those who are in uh, very difficult circumstances. And Lord, I pray that, that every life and every child would be welcomed into a family that, that, that loves them. Help us to be part of that change, Lord. And we do pray that you would bring repentance and change in our culture. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are... Uh, in Hebrews 13, and if you're just joining us this morning, we spent the better part of uh, the last year going through Hebrews, and we're just about to land the plane in the next couple of weeks, and are looking forward to our next sermon series, which will be on the life of Joseph. The last 18 or 19 chapters of book of Genesis is all about the life of Joseph, and so um, we're looking forward to, to spending some time going through this, uh, this incredible life. I think you'll, you'll find there's a lot of application to our lives today, and, uh, and so we're hoping to begin this in, in July, and, uh, and, and for that to take us right up until about the Christmas season, and, uh, and so we're, we're looking forward to that. You can be reading ahead, um, turn if, you know, the last basically third of the book of Genesis uh, is all about the life of, life of Joseph. So I'd encourage you to be reading in advance. Um, but here at the end of Hebrews, we see some very practical applications of some of this majestic theology that the, the author of Hebrews has, has, has taken us through. And so two weeks ago, we looked in verse 4 at marriage. And I'll remind you, uh, the Baptist faith and message states that God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment 
for a lifetime. And so we talked about the fact that, that marriage is based on commitment, that love at the end of the day is not a feeling, it's a covenant, it's a commitment that we make. And so we must work to protect that which God has called beautiful, and that would be the marriage relationship. We must give no quarter to the world, the devil, and our own flesh's temptation towards sexual immorality. And last week, Robbie uh, led us through an exposition of verse 5. So we looked at marriage, verse 4, and verse 5 is about money. The Bible talks about all kinds of practical things. In fact, everything that we really need to know for, for life and, and godliness, including money. And I really appreciated how Robbie kind of landed the plane with an exhortation to exchange the currency of earth, which is money, for the currency of heaven, which is people. And money is a, a gift the Lord has given us. The love of money is what we're, what we're warned against. And so we need to work in our lives to, to think about the currency of heaven. That would be people. And how can we use our money to invest in what God cares about? And that would be souls. So we've talked about marriage. We've talked about money. And this morning, as we look at verse 6, one short verse, we're going to talk about mindset. What motivates you? Well, I'd like to show you a slide I mentioned a little while ago. Um, uh, brothers, if you can throw that up there, a little ad here, um, that, that says, needed. And, and I, I, when, when, when I knew we were going to be talking with Sydney this morning, and so this kind of brought this to mind. Um, followers of Jesus with top medical skills, ready and willing to lay it all down to take the gospel. And go, go back, please, if you would. Thank you. To take the gospel to the unreached. Tough work, bad pay, elevated danger, certain suffering, eternal reward. Does that motivate you? Right? Um, well, guess what? We've got at least one young lady here that motivates her. You know, uh, Sydney, we're praying for you. We're with you. Um, we are proud of you for, for using the skills God has given you instead of for uh, your own comfort and, and standing, but to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unreached. And you know, some of my heroes are single female missionaries. Um, I think of Amy Carmichael. I think of Lottie Moon. I think of a, of a missionary that maybe you've never heard of, and I hadn't heard of until I read a book, or part of a book recently, a missionary named Maria Fearing. And she was born in 1938 in Alabama as a slave. After the Civil War, when she gained her, her freedom, she, she taught herself to read and write and earned enough money to buy a house, and then she heard about needy children in the Congo. And she sold her house and went self-funded to the mission field and invested her life in Africa, making a difference in the lives of these kids who many of them had, 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 were, were rescued slaves. Well, I've had the chance to, to actually get to know uh, some heroic single missionaries. You've heard me talk about Lisa, who served with our team in, in Central Asia. And I'd like to share with you the story of, a, of another young woman who went to the same country where we served in Central Asia. Her name was Casey. 
Now, now Casey uh, grew up in a youth group in South Carolina that my wife and I led back in, trying to remember, I guess it would have been the early 2000s, right? And when I first met Casey, she was like one of the most shy young women I had ever met. I mean, if you just looked at her, she would just melt, okay? I mean, don't ever call on her to, to read scripture or something, all right? Well, we, we took our youth group on a missions trip to Peru, where we had a, a missionary in our church and, and, and who had a camping ministry. And so um, I was shocked when Casey and her family signed up to come along. Now, her mom and dad came, and it was their first cross-cultural experience as well. Her younger sister came. And, and, and frankly, all was going well until our last night in country, we went out to a restaurant uh, where they served guinea pig. Right? And it turns out that in Peru, guinea pig is, is like a delicacy. So kind of like, you know, red lobster. You know, when you walk in there, you got the tank with all the lobsters. Well, there they had the, like the, the hutch with all the guinea pigs, and you got to choose your dinner. Right? So, of course, we're on a youth mission trip. Uh, all the guys, of course, are choosing their guinea pigs and, you know, making great sport out of it. And frankly, when they serve it to you, uh, maybe you've been, you know, in Europe to a restaurant where, you know, you order a fish and it comes out and it's looking at you? Well, it's a similar thing where there's literally an expression on the face of the fried guinea pig as it was brought out to you, um, kind of splayed. And, and of course, the, you know, it came out in a big stick and the boys are all having a good time with that. Um, and, and let me just say, Casey and her younger sister had pet guinea pigs back at home. And so it didn't go real well uh, for her. So you might think that would have been the end of any kind of missions aspirations that she might have. Well, uh, fast forward a, a, a few years, and my wife and I, and at this point, I think Tim had just been born, and Grace, um, you know, Grace was probably three years old, Tim was, was, was about one, I think, uh, in uh, a war-torn part of Central Asia, all right? And I get this email from Casey, who's now in nursing school. She says, uh, hey, uh, do you think it might be possible for me to come and spend a summer with you? I couldn't believe it. Uh, on, on the front of Time magazine, there was a, there was a, a picture of, a, of an aid worker, a female aid worker who had just been abducted just south of us, where we were, okay? Uh, I couldn't believe that her dad would allow this. So I wrote him, and, and he basically said, hey, we're, we're sure are praying a lot, but we're, we support this. And so she came out, um, uh, connected. We had, a, we had a, a team that was doing a lot of work uh, with Lisa, a bunch of local uh, medical folks, working to eradicate tuberculosis. Uh, and frankly, just the medical aspect of this ministry was, was dangerous, all right? She was in close proximity to a lot of people who had TB. But she came out and, and just did great. Spent all this time out in villages, um, um, uh, was a big help to Beth with the kids, um, got to know some of the neighbors, uh, had an amazing experience, and a few years later, actually went back to Central Asia as a single missionary, using her medical skills, joined a team in a different city from where we were. And, and a couple of years later, after we had moved to London, uh, her, her, her teammates, who were some good friends of ours, her team leader's name was Tom and his wife, Faith, um, uh, so she was on this team in the northern part of the country. They had a medical emergency where Faith got really sick, and they had to rush her to the hospital, actually on a, an American military base that was about two hours away. And while they were rushing her with the whole family to the hospital, uh, Faith went into cardiac arrest and died. 
And Casey was on the back seat with the kids in the car, spent about an hour trying to resuscitate her, working on her. Uh, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't, wasn't a pretty scene. Um, and, and so the family, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is a complicated thing, actually, bringing someone back to the States who's passed away where we were in Central Asia. So it took them about a week. Um, the family realized, Tom realized that, that this was it. Like, he had three daughters, and, you know, he had spent years, I mean, he had been there in this country since before 9-11, um, many, many years of investment and of, of service, um, you know, boom. So they actually had a memorial service in which they shared the gospel, you know, in a Muslim environment, um, and she was at the middle of all of it, taking care of the kids, helping bring the family back all the way to the States. And during this time, of course, we, we, we had just arrived in London. We were, I think we were in London at the time. We were, we were you know, praying for her, praying for them, praying for Tom. Uh, on her Facebook page, now you can go to the next slide. This was what she had up. And where does your, where does your, where does your eye go to? Right? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So let's look at this um, a little bit more closely. Um, it actually starts Hebrews 13, 16, and you can go to the next slide, uh, brothers. Um, actually says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, this, this word even confidence, the, the, it's a Greek participle that, 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 that means bravely. In, in other words, this is a, a confidence that comes not from our own strength, but it comes from faith in, in God. And so it's a mindset of faith. And so we've got three points for this, this message this morning, that which, which correspond to each of these lines of this, of this verse. But faith, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. This is a direct quote from Psalm 118.6. Robbie this week pointed out to me that we see an example here uh, when we look at the way this verse from the Psalms is quoted. We see an example of relying on the Lord's words in Scripture. You see, back in verse 5, we were admonished to find our contentment in God's presence instead of what we can buy with our money. Because God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Of course, that was a quote from Joshua 1.5. But here now, before it was what God said in verse 6, now we can confidently say, along with the psalmist, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. So this is a good reminder that biblical faith is relying on the Lord's words in Scripture. So when you're afraid, go to Scripture to remind yourself of what God has said is true. You know, where is true north? Because a lot of times, honestly, our feelings aren't pointing to true north, right? Remind yourself of what is true and, and to bolster your faith. So go to God's word because this is an example. We see two examples and two verses of mystery man, the author, doing that very thing, pointing to God's word to, uh, to help bolster our faith. But let's consider with the psalmist the very rock on which our faith stands. So Psalm 118, verse 6 and 7 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. 
What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. Now this is good news. The Lord is on our side, church. Do you believe that? That the Lord is on our side and that he is our helper. Now a a little side note I just want to make here. This word for God that says helper here in Psalm 118.7, it's the exact same Hebrew word that we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, for the helper that God made for man, Eve. All right? So for those who would assault the complementarian view of marriage, that would say that, that, that somehow it is demeaning to a woman that she is the helpmate for a man, for a husband, that somehow that's a step down, it's the same word for God himself being our helper. Right? You see, and the Bible flips everything upside down from what our society wants to say. Right? The hero in the Christian life is the servant. Right? A deacon is, is a leading servant. You know, a, a church leader is a, is a servant. And, and a helper is equivalent to God himself and his relationship with us. In other words, we couldn't make it without God. Adam couldn't make it without Eve. So let's, again, listen to true north versus the shifting sands, the rapidly shifting sands of a society that's trying to make it without God. Well, the Lord is our helper. When I think of that, and I think of the way the word helper is used in this scripture and in the Bible, it is powerful, and it is personal. Spurgeon wrote the Lord about Psalm 118, verse 7, uh, 6 and 7, he wrote, the Lord is on my side, or he is for me. Once his justice was against me, but now he is my reconciled God working for me. Jehovah belongs to me and is mine. What infinite wealth. If we do not magnify the Lord, we are insensibly stupid. That was Spurgeon. Another psalm that tells us God is our helper is Psalm 121. And I, I just love Psalm 121, but just listen to the first two verses. I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? In other words, I know I'm in trouble and I need a helper. But the psalmist says in verse 2, my, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and earth. Again, this truth that God, the Lord himself, that the sovereign one, the creator, that he is our helper, that is both powerful and personal. It is powerful because, hey, our helper is the sovereign creator, the, the, the one who rules and holds together the atomic structure of the universe, right? I mean, the one who made the stars and the galaxies. He cares about us, and, 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 and he is our helper. So he can do anything. I mean, why wouldn't we invest a significant amount of time in, in prayer? I mean, that's the most practical thing you can do with your time if the Lord is on your side. And the Lord is on your side if, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is his son, you believe that he died on the cross from your sin, for your sins and rose from the dead, and you're depending on him alone, then Yahweh God, creator God, is your helper. And it is personal. He, he will personally keep, he's the one who personally keeps our feet from slipping. When you walk through Psalm 21, you see how it's not just from a distance, but the, the imagery is of God as, as his child is climbing a mountain, holding 
each footstep to keep him from slipping. That is our God. Well, because the Lord is on our side and is our helper, second point, which is fear, I will not fear. I will not fear. Number two is fear. We start with faith, and now we're going to look and think about fear. If we believe the Lord is truly on our side, we do not need to fear. In fact, we should not fear. However, I, I want to throw out a disclaimer, and that is that not all fear is bad. Proverbs, it's about the objects of our fear and what we do with our fear, all right? But Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I just want to make sure we got this on the screen, gentlemen. I think it's coming. All right, I'll keep going, and I think they'll, they'll catch up. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the very foundation for our lives as Christians should be fear of God. Now, we don't only fear God, we, we love God. But there is a, a godly fear. A, there is a foundational fear respect when we think about the power and the holiness of God that, frankly, we undervalue. We short sell that today. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, lest you think this concept of fearing God is just an Old Testament idea, he said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Those are the words of Christ. So God actually created fear as a human reaction that functions for the preservation of life. So if you think about it, that's why we buckle our children in car seats. We don't think we're going to have a wreck, but we might. And so fear leads us to do things like Buckle of car seats or put locks on doors. You don't think you're going to have someone try to break into your home in the middle of the night, but it could happen. And so a preventative measure is a lock on a door. That's why we have parachutes in airplanes or in some airplanes, maybe not if you're flying commercial, but if you're a pilot, maybe you have a parachute, um, hopefully. Uh, it, it is what God created in his creatures that bring about fight or flight reactions. You know, that adrenaline rush for the preservation of life. So fear by itself is not evil, and it has a function, but when fear keeps us from doing what God has called us to do, in other words, when we're fearing man or fearing a situation more than we're fearing or respecting God, when fear gets in the way of faith and obedience, when that happens, we give into what the Bible calls us a, is a, calls a, a spirit of fear. The Bible warns us against giving in to the spirit of fear, and that does not come from the Lord. So Paul writes Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love, and, and self-control. And so it is the epic boxing match of faith versus fear, which will win for dominion of our hearts. And so what are we afraid of anyway? 
And, and Robbie and I were talking about that this week. Um, I asked him what he was afraid of. His first answer in his immediate answer was spiders and bugs. Now this is a uh, fellow who has just moved to Northwest Florida and is a new homeowner. Okay, so he's coming to grips with spiders and bugs. But most of us are afraid of things like physical suffering and death. These days, there's a growing fear of economic loss. As we see the stock market um, struggling and as we see inflation rising, this fear is becoming a big deal, even to folks who do have a lot of resources. And, and, and frankly, if we stop and think about it, uh, there, there are folks who this is going to really make life almost, I mean, very, very difficult to sustain, okay? But for most of us in this room, it's really a fear of reduction of lifestyle. Because most of us are still going to be able to eat and, and put fuel in our car. But maybe we're afraid that we won't be able to afford the newer car that we want or the vacation that we'd like to take our family on, right? And so we do give in to fear of economic loss. And, and I'd just like to turn your attention back um, to verse 5 when it comes to these things, which says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now make no mistake, I, I have no desire personally to see gas prices go up, okay, or inflation numbers continue to skyrocket, okay, and I think we ought to do all we can as good citizens to do our best to encourage our governing officials to make wise decisions uh, that would benefit their citizens economically. But let's make sure that we're finding our, this is a good opportunity for us, uh, pastorally speaking, this is a good opportunity for each of us to check our hearts and make sure that we're, we're finding our joy and our contentment and even our hope in our relationship with God versus the things that money can buy. So fear of economic loss is a, is a real one that I think some of us may be facing maybe for the first time in our lives even. But there are deeper heart level fears such as the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of the unknown, things that we can't control. And often this fear of the unknown is what keeps us from stepping out in faith. Now just a, a month or two ago in a, in a message, I briefly mentioned that we had a need for a volunteer or volunteers to go to a, a conference in Southeast Asia of IMB missionaries that were gathering, right? And, and it was a long shot. It was kind of a last minute thing. But Elizabeth Frederick, who's watching this morning, she's not able to be here. She's traveling with some family. Uh, but she answered the call and she went and she made a difference. And you know, fear could have stopped her quickly. In fact, she spent the day, you know, the air, everything with the airlines has been crazy lately, right? So she spends the day sitting in Pensacola, um, delayed flight after delayed flight, canceled flight after canceled flight. She finally gets down to Miami, and we sent her with three heavy bags, okay? None of them were for her. They were for two different families. And so she's got all these bags, and evidently she, they weren't checked all the way through, or she had to, you know, run all over the place in Miami, and so she missed her flight, and as such, it would have been really easy because the airline that she was traveling on, Emirates, basically said, sorry, we don't have another one until like three days from now, okay? Would have been really, really easy for her to have said, that's it, uh, I'm turning around and going home. 
But she didn't. She didn't give in to that. She kept persevering and had to take a whole nother route, um, added over a day to her travels. And so I just got this note last night from my brother Thomas and my sister-in-law, Julie. And they, they wrote, wow, we really appreciate Elizabeth and her service to us over this past week. From the start, the planning for this meeting was very short notice. Because of Vivi's special needs, we needed someone who was comfortable and able to care for her, and Elizabeth willingly volunteered herself. She had to suffer through challenging flight cancellations and schedules to get to us, but was ready to serve by caring for Vivi only a few hours after her finally arriving. She cared for Vivi even when Vivi caught a stomach bug. We were grateful to have a nurse there. And then she endured with joy some sickness herself on the last few days of her trip. Because of her service, Julie and I were able to attend the meetings which focused on us processing the challenges of the last two years of lockdowns and missed opportunities. We are refreshed and want to express our gratitude to Elizabeth and to our Rocky family for sending her. So church, let me encourage you this morning, when they present, don't back down from spiritual challenges. Go for it with your eyes on Christ, who will be your helper. And maybe that, that could be a lot of things, and it may look different for different ones of us. Maybe it's a missions trip for you. Maybe it's a trip across the street to share Christ with a neighbor. Maybe it's a gospel conversation that you need to have with a family member. And, and frankly, th- those can be the hardest, right? Because they know you really well. And it's a long-term relationship. None of us want to be rejected by our family members. Maybe it's a tough conversation that you need to have with somebody to resolve a conflict that you'd rather not have. Maybe you need to take a step of faith, and by that I mean you need to step outside your comfort zone at work in order to to fully use a a God-given gift that could make a difference in this world or in somebody's life. Maybe God's wired you to make something and you've been holding back because you're afraid of failure or criticism. Well, don't put off to tomorrow what God is calling you to do today. In other words, this is a call to live bravely, to overcome fear with faith in your daily life. And there is freedom in living by faith instead of being hindered by fear. And that's our last point this morning, freedom. And, and I hope you'll see this. Uh, it's, I, I see it in this phrase as we maybe unpack it, think about it a little bit. I see freedom here in the question, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? Well, when I thought about this, I, 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 my first reaction was, a lot. Uh, I can think a lot of things that are unpleasant that people could do to me. Now, now we don't know this for sure, but Spurgeon believes that David is the author of Psalm 118, and that's where this phrase comes from, okay? Um, It's not in the subscription uh, or the inscription, but Spurgeon thinks David wrote, wrote it, so that's good enough for me, all right? So I'm going with David as the author, although maybe not. Okay, so, so let's think about David saying, what can man do to me? Well, let's think about his life for a moment, all right? Was, was David's life free of persecution? Uh, no, 
uh, he was falsely accused. He was hunted by Saul and the Philistines and his own son, right? People who were trying to kill him. He, he had his possessions and even his position for a while plundered by a treacherous son. So bad stuff happened to David. So what can man do to me? Well, they can do some things. And, and, and humans can hurt us. But here's the point. God is sovereign over what man and frankly, even demons can do to us. God holds the leash of the dog. And God has limited what humans can do to us to physical and emotional hurt. And that means that people cannot hurt us spiritually. Remember that that Jesus himself said that we should fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. His words, right? Man cannot damn us to hell. And we also have the truth in the Bible that God won't allow us more than we can handle. And I think about that sometimes, and I think, you know, um, there are some things that maybe I could handle with the Holy Spirit's help, but I really would rather not. And sometimes I think, I don't know if I could handle that. But you know, as, as many of you has experience, have experienced, God often provides for His people more of His presence when they're hurting and when they're looking to Him for help. So consider with me, if you will, the example of Stephen. We'll, we'll put this scripture up for you to read or you can turn there. Acts chapter 7 verse 54 through 60, as, as Stephen was being stoned to death. And frankly, I can't think of a whole lot worse. I have an active imagination, so I can think of a little bit worse, okay? But not a whole lot worse than being surrounded by people throwing rocks at me with really wicked expressions in their faces and eyes uh, as they are enjoying the process of watching me die a very painful death okay, brought on by their hands. That, that's pretty bad. Okay, give me a firing squad or a lot of other things. That's really bad, okay? People literally, it's very personal, throwing rocks at you and enjoying it as you bleed out, as you, as you die. And so here's what God provided for Stephen. Acts seven fifty four. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. That was a great gospel sermon that, that Stephen proclaimed, uh, going through the whole Old Testament, um, uh, convicting them for rejecting the prophets and rejecting the Son. So they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, side note here. Um, God is sovereign over these things. He doesn't waste the suffering of his people. So out of this, this was one, uh, one thing that was a part of Saul's conversion into Paul. Right, a, a religious terrorist who became one of the greatest missionaries the world's ever known, if not the greatest missionary the world's ever known. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So this isn't some story that's been manipulated or exaggerated by man. Here's a story of a real martyr who went out with his boots on, okay, having the experience of actually seeing Christ welcoming him into heaven that helped him get past those few moments of great suffering. And so do you see how this mindset of faith over fear is liberating? It it frees us from our constraints. The 19th century historian Henry Milman told the story of the early church father Chrysostom, Jonas Christostomos, but we call him Chrysostom in the, in the West, a little easier to say, when he was dragged before the Roman emperor who threatened him with banishment for proclaiming the gospel. Now, Chrysostom was actually quite the, the, uh, was quite the, the famous and, and loved preacher in modern-day Istanbul, was Constantinople back in the day. And so, so he actually, <laughs> he, he was banished and then quickly restored back to his position because all of his followers rioted. Not saying that was a great thing to do, but they, they actually destroyed the Hagia Sophia. Uh, it had to be rebuilt after that, and, and, and the emperor was like, whoa, they may come after me next, because uh, they really like this guy. Um, and, and, but he did end up uh, living the, the, the last part of his life banished. Okay, So when he was threatened by the holy Roman emperor, who wasn't really ho- holy, okay, when, when, he was, when he was threatened to be banished for his proclamation of the gospel, he responded, Thou canst not banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will slay thee, said the emperor. Nay, thou canst not, said the noble champion of the faith, for my life is hid with Christ in God. I will take away your treasures. Nay, but thou canst not, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive thee away from man, and thou shalt have no friend left. Nay, thou canst not. For I have a friend in heaven from whom thou canst not separate me. I defy thee, for there is nothing that thou canst do to hurt me. Were his final words. Thinking about this whole principle of freedom. Faith, fear, and freedom. I think of Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. And and we're going to put the words up. You can read them on the screen, or you can turn there in your own Bible. Um, or you can close your eyes and just listen to these words because I plan to read these without comment as, as we close. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave them up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us that eternal mindset, a mindset that is trusting that you are truly our helper, you the, you the sovereign God, omnipotent and, and powerful, all-powerful. You, you are the one who helps us and who delivers us. Formerly our enemy, now our friend. Lord, we thank you that you are our helper. So Lord, I pray that you would this week give us victory over all fear. Lord, I pray that, that in, in faith, with faith we would find the freedom to truly step out of our comfort zones and to serve you. Uh, Lord, with the big things and the little things, and I pray that we would daily be in your word and led by your spirit such that we would know what you're calling us to do and that we'd be willing to do it. Lord, use us, Lord, in, in our society, in our town, in our culture, to be lights for the gospel. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.